It's the international break and the World Cup is just two months away. Is it a time for excitement or are the emotions too conflicting? I'm Dan Burke, this is the One Football Podcast and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. Hello, hello. How are we both doing? Uh, a little bit bored on account of the international break, but let's not let that stop the show. You Absolutely, yeah. The show must go on and <laughs> Joel's got his clothes on, so... Uh, <laughs> it's a rarity, but yeah. we, are, we are where we are. Yeah. Regular listeners to the podcast will probably think you're some sort of nudist, Joel. And and they would be correct. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> We're in Germany. This thing is completely normal. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. They love, love it over here, don't they? If, if anything, you're weirder, weirder with, with clothes on, aren't you, yeah. than uh, without them over here? So, yeah. That's right. That's what I always say. <laughs> yeah, well, it is the international break. It is uh, two months until the World Cup, as I said at the top of the show. 59 days, to be precise. Uh, how are we feeling about it, though? Are we are we looking forward to the World Cup? Are you excited for it yet, Matt? Uh, not yet. Weirdly enough, because it, uh, as we all know, it's interrupting the football season. It's yeah. interrupting the club. It's sort of when the when the um, when a season finishes, you're like, all right, it's a few weeks break, and then I get excited for the World Cup. But now it's sort of I probably won't be excited until the final match day um, is done before before the teams go off to the training camp. I believe. Spurs have Liverpool. Mm. I, I believe that is the final uh, game, Joel. Second to it last game, that is. Second to last, even. Yeah, because we, we finished against Southampton. Uh, right. Yeah, so so yeah, uh, what, once that's done, then I can sort of look forward to it, which is weird because I think it's about eight or nine days before England's opening game is the last Premier League match. So it... It's yeah, it's it's a little bit odd to be honest. I'll look forward to yeah. it then. Yeah, I think those those last few games before the World Cup kicks off are going to be so weird because you know is anybody going to be busting a gut and like risking injury when they mm. could it could affect the World Cup chances? Is that like a problem that you think might might affect things, Joel? Affect the domestic season? Yeah, it's all completely new, it. isn't it? Like we, we've not had this situation before. It's like it's really we have no idea what what to predict or you know what to expect. And you know, and I, I would I would I would I would think so actually. Yeah, if if you're a you know. A player, especially if you're a player who's great playing his last uh, last World Cup, if you're above thirty or something like that, and you know, you've got two Premier League games before you go to the World Cup, you're, you're probably not going to go in for a fifty-fifty, or like you said, there you might not overexert yourself and that kind of thing. And there, and you know, maybe the teams that are are, are in talks of you know, sort of sorry, the chances of winning the title, maybe you know, it's a different story there. But if you're playing for like sort of mid-table team and the season's already kind of been and gone. You're pretty much going to be kind of on the beach mentally in those last two games, aren't you? Yeah, no idea what's going to be in the, in the desert would be more appropriate, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> There's the title for the podcast. Yeah. yeah, there you go. I, I think, and the, the beginning of November is the final match day of the Champions League as well, and that's only a few weeks before. Yeah. Uh, but before the World Cup starts as well, so there's there's so much to play for at that point of the season as there normally is. But yeah, it would be a real shame if if a few players were sort of pulling out of tackles and not really giving it their all. Yeah. I love that it's something like three days after the World Cup final, the Carabao Cup fourth round takes place. Like, that's the oh, real really? stuff, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh so if anyone... Oh, my Lord. If, if anyone, you know, has players playing in the final, they won't be playing in the Carabao Cup, unfortunately. I'm sure they'll be devastated about that, won't they? I, I certainly would be. I, I, I saw that, the, the obviously, the third round and fourth round are later than normal. That seems weird, considering everything is being moved earlier because of the World Cup. Except mm. for the Carabao Cup. And I don't quite know why. Yeah, because it's the best competition in the world, that's why. <laughs> yeah, I agree. completely agree. Yeah, if there was ever a case to bid it off, it's it's now. Yeah. But you're right, week commencing the 19th, that is the day after the World Cup final. 
You should yeah. try winning it, Matt. Then you'll you feel differently. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. It, it was, it was still playing... the Carling Cup when Spurs last won it, wasn't it? I think. <laughs> was it? Yeah, it was the Carling Cup. Imagine, imagine a, a player sort of. I don't want to call anyone out here, but you know, imagine going from the World Cup final to Accrington Stanley away in the League Cup. <laughs> Not that Aki Stanley are in it. I've just seen they lost to Tranmere early on, but you know what I mean. That could be quite a come. That could be quite a come down from the it World Cup be, yeah. final to the Carabao Cup fourth round. Um, but there, maybe, maybe people are going to pull out of the World Cup final and go, oh, you know what? We've got... Don't fancy we, it, yeah. We, yeah, we've got Preston away on Wednesday and I don't want to be injured, so... <laughs> there, there's definitely like an athletic article in there, isn't there? From, from yeah, the yeah. desert to Lancashire. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is more bereft, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, well, you're throwing shade at everyone here. Blimey. <laughs> Tweet at well, football uh, Dan or all, all, all our Lancashire. Yeah, if you, if you are from Lancashire, then uh, please, <laughs> yeah. you know, feel free to. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, Manchester was part of Lancashire at one point, but then we sort of uh, got 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 away from it. Yeah, really, that's, that's controversial. Those term rates, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's like saying Joel's from Liverpool at one point. Yeah, hang on, hang on a second. We we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in all seriousness, I mean, I am a. Uh, I'm, I'm very much a club football man. I, I, I like the internationals during the summer. You know, I like the tournaments. I, I get into it then as a, you know, it's a nice way to sort of tide you over in between seasons. I, I just can't really get up for a World Cup in the middle of a season. I don't, I think maybe that might change as we get closer to the competition. As it goes on, I might get into it. But if they cancel it tomorrow, I don't think I'd be too upset, really. I just feel a bit like it just seems like it's getting in the way and I worry about how it's going to affect the second half of the season, you know, players getting injured, uh, players being tired, you know, all that, all those fixtures crammed in. Mm. It's just, I know it's kind of unavoidable and we've known about this for a long time since, since Qatar was awarded the World Cup that it was going to take place at a very awkward time, but I'm just not happy about it, to be honest. Just not happy about it at all. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's, it's going to be one of these things where if you're a fan of the top teams, the top six in the Premier League, whoever in the mm. Champions League, it's probably going to be really annoying. But that's kind of a, a narcissistic view because for the rest of the world, it actually might be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because you just well, don't uh, your player getting injured. That's true. I think when you sort of uh, try to consider the impact on, on a domestic season, I, I think we're not into the realms of how weird that's going to be just yet, but we, it'll, we'll, it will reach that stage. Like there'll be, we'll be, we might be sitting here in March and talking about a result that happened in uh, August. You'd be going, was that really in the same season? Like, <laughs> yeah. This season's going to feel really, really long. And you kind of got yourself into a situation uh, where the clubs are all going to have another preseason again in, in the middle of the campaign. <laughs> and that's going to work to some team's benefits. It, it might, work against them in some ways remains to be seen. And you saw there seeing the reports about Juventus at the moment, um, considering keeping Max Allegri until November and uh, and then sort of get rid of him then because they're under pressure at the moment. Juventus not had a good start to the season. And that, in a way, kind of makes sense to me in, in the way that, you know, make a change in November where you've got, you can bring a new manager in and then you can sort of give them an, a, basically a whole pre-season in the middle yeah. of the campaign to get ready for the second half. And uh, that's why I sort of speaking from a sort of, if you're in the Premier League title race point of view, if you sort of, keep yourself on the coattails of Man City and Arsenal up until the, uh, the, the break for the World Cup and you, you're within five free points kind of thing, you can still claw that back because you're not sure how... You know, Man City and Arsenal are playing really well at the moment and Liverpool and Chelsea aren't. But that might completely flip come, uh, come 
uh, when football resumes on mm. New Year's Eve, uh, and suddenly you know City might not have momentum, Liverpool might pick it up. I kind of think it's, I think it's, we're looking at com- two completely different campaigns all shred into one, and I, I think it's just, I think it's just really bizarre. Yeah. Do, do you think so? Very quickly, that there actually could be a flip side to it of there's about a ten day gap from players playing their last game to the first World Cup game. I mean, obviously you're flying to Qatar as well, but once they've settled in, the maximum that the maximum amount of football matches that are going to be played between, I think it's the 12th of November that everyone meets up because the, the last weekend is that Sunday the 11th. I yeah, think. that's when the squads are getting announced, isn't it? I think right. that's the deadline, yeah. So from Monday the 12th of November to Monday the 19th of December, the day after the World Cup final, um, you're looking at seven games, which actually is probably less than the eight or nine that you would play in that period if you were just at your Premier League club. Um, And that's assuming that every single Premier League player gets to the final, which of course can't happen. So in a a weird sort of way, I I get what you're saying that, you know, you're going to need a pre-season. If you can hang in there, it's going to alter the way the clubs play. But these players are fit. They're used to playing in November and December a hell of a lot of games. And they're not going to be playing every single match of the tournament. So there is an argument to say that most of them will go away, play three, four, five games, if you're looking at the major nations, making it to the quarterfinals at least, five games, and then they'll be back. And it could actually be, weirdly enough, the least congested part of this season. (laughs) It just so happens to be, you know, halfway around the world. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's just an alternate <laughs> point of view. I'm not saying I completely subscribe to it, but the the uh, it could be you know it could be that case. But of course, yeah. England are going to get to the final, so they're going to be playing all seven. Of course, they are. Yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> no doubt about that. Yeah, <laughs> John yeah. screw faced, and we can't even see him. <laughs> I can feel the anger through the mic. <laughs> no, that's true, Matt. I think the, the sort of proof of the pudding will be in the eating with this, won't it? We won't really know mm. how it's going to affect things until it actually happens. And, you know, we all have ideas on how it's going to go. And I think, you know, it's going to be a novelty, isn't it? Watching a, a World Cup in winter with a, a glass of glue vine in hand at a Christmas market or whatever. That'll be <laughs> that'll be something we've never done before and we'll probably mm. never do again. So there is that aspect of it. But I suppose, Joel, we have to address the elephant in the room, which is the Qatar factor, which is, which is the, the blatant sports washing that's going on with this World Cup. Is that something that makes you feel less excited about it than you would for a normal World Cup? Yeah, it definitely has an effect. And I've spoken to plenty of people who are going to watch like Liverpool matches with and a lot of them are, you know, are boycotting watching the World Cup. And, mm. and I wouldn't be surprised if that, that is a sort of stance taken by a lot of people. Obviously, us three on this call can't really do that because we work in the industry and a lot of journalists we go out to Qatar will be in the same boat. And if we weren't in that position, I'm, I'm not quite sure where I would stand on it. I probably would still watch it um, because it's, it's football, but you can't get away from the fact of, you know, the, the crowds that are committed there. And you're also seeing, sorry, uh, today that Hoffenheim... Um, yeah, the Bundesliga club have sort of said they're not reporting on anything uh, to do with the World Cup when when it comes about. So, like, there's going to like pretend like it doesn't exist, and the fact that clubs and and, and supporters are having to take that stance suggests that well proves that there's something you know not quite right with the you know, the fact of you know the country that's being held in sort of what they you know crimes that are being sort of accused of, and and, and yeah, it do, it does sort of. Um, ruin the sort of excitement of the World Cup a little bit um, to the extent where, you know, 
I, to be quite honest, I'm not quite sure where I, I stand on on being able to sort of enjoy it. I think when, by the time the first match comes, maybe that'll feel different, but it, it does feel all a little bit weird and maybe not, not enough has been, you know, not enough publicity has been uh, given to, to the uh, the negative impacts of it. And and to be honest, I remember sort of the the World Cup in Russia, sort of there was a, sort of a bit of an air of uncertainty about that, and a bit of air of, well, well is this right? Should, should this country be hosting such a, such a, a glamorous tournament? And in, in the end, that ended up being, you know, a, a, a good World Cup, and, and Russia didn't necessarily get a great publicity. And um, But you, you don't know, we don't know the impacts of that, to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not yeah. quite sure what the impacts of this will be. So it, it is a bit weird. It, it does make it all a bit diff- uh, strange. And the fact it's been held in Dece- uh, November and December adds that as well. But uh I guess we'll be sitting here in you know a couple of months' time and it might feel a bit different so we might be able to enjoy the football and while also considering the negative impacts of it all. But you know, right now it does feel yeah, a little bit weird. Yeah. I mean I'm a Manchester City fan, of course. I've had a lot of practice when it comes to grappling with this moral dilemma, I would say. I've I've thought about it a lot over the over the years and you know, I, I still don't know entirely where I stand on it, but I have been able to kind of compartmentalise things a little bit and I, I you know, I resent the the sort of association with with, Ab- with the Abu Dhabi royal family and and you know the the human rights abuses that are committed in that country and I I, I resent that City are are linked with that but at the same time it doesn't completely stop me from enjoying uh, watching the football it does make me think about it a lot and maybe that is a bit of a hypocritical standpoint but I guess there's a lot of hypocrisy in everyone really you know we all do things and indulge in things that aren't perfect and it's a very imperfect world that we live in and I wonder whether there'll be there'll be more pressure as we get closer to the tournament on you know players expected to boycott it and things like that is that something that you think players should be expected to do Matt that it, or, or is this something as a player it's you know the chance to play for your country at a world cup is just takes precedence above everything else yeah I I, I would tend to agree with it I the reason being is that how do these players sort of, I guess, know what they're getting into? I mean, when you're a child, you know, you're not saying, oh, I want to play for the biggest and richest club, you know, and, and the meanest. I want to, you know, throw my morals out the window. But you're working hard towards becoming a footballer, towards playing in the biggest matches, to playing in the World Cup. And look, I guess if everyone did it, then yeah, something something may happen. But the truth is that not everyone is going to feel the same. And, mm. you know, I guess... To be fair, that's you know it's down to each individual player, each individual club to see how seriously they take it. Um, so you can't possibly agree that every single player is going to boycott it. And I think, yeah, for them to be robbed of of the chance to play in a match or play in a tournament that doesn't really have anything to do with them, it's like asking the Manchester City players, you know, City are in, interested in you. Oh, but then the new owners come in. Then what? You're just yeah. not going to go to Manchester City. It leaves such a dilemma that I, I, I get, I understand, you know, do your due diligence, understand where your money is coming from, understand where your pay packets are coming from. But like you said, I would, um, not to put such a negative view on the world, but if you were to look at where anything in your house came from or any yeah. sort of pay packet that you received came from, you could probably all trace it back to some sort of corruption and evil and general yeah. negatives of capitalism anyway. So not saying that that's right, but it would it would take an extraordinarily righteous figure to to point the finger and get somewhere basically, yeah, which I don't I agree. think uh, any of us are that holier than thou, um, <laughs> and I don't think any company can can claim to be either, or certainly any football governing body. So, yeah, yeah, 
that's probably a difficult choice for them. And I do feel quite bad, to be honest. Like, if you throw that on a player in an interview or just in general, ugh, that's, that's tough. That That's yeah. tough for them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, we'll, uh, we'll discuss that in more detail towards uh, as we get towards the tournament. We'll we'll talk about the football aspect of it a little bit more in a bit more detail towards the tournament as well. But let's just have a very early kind of glimpse ahead to the World Cup. Uh, who would you say is your 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 favourites to win the World Cup, Joel? Who do you think is going to win it? And does that differ from who the favourites are for you? Um, I'm not saying this is my answer, but I like the look of Spain under Luis Enrique. Uh, got to the semis of the Euros. You play some really nice football, but and I think they will go far in the tournaments. But I think their issue now, you know, as it remains the same as it's been for the past two years, where they just got a lack of a goal scorer and a lack of someone to put the ball in the back of the net mm. in the box. And uh, they've called up uh, Boyera Iglesias from uh, uh, Betis, who's had a really good start to the season, and, and, and maybe that could be one of those sort of uh, wild card picks that somehow end up being you know you end up scoring 10 goals in 10 games at international level and <laughs> wins in the world cup but i think in terms of who i think is going to win it and i think you know would i think i'd consider the favorites to be brazil i think right, yeah. for that but i i would say one of brazil or argentina are going to win it and i, and I would say my pick of signing towards argentina i think um Lionel Scaloni looks like he's built an almost sort of club-like mentality within that squad. Mm. You sort of look at all their, see all their interviews and like, it sounds silly, but look at their Instagram posts after games and that and every time all the players are out there on their international duty, they all look like they have a really good time and they all like each other and it feels like a, you know, a proper unit and obviously they won the last Cup of America um, and so it, it feels like the, the, that's all building towards something and in the past, Argentina, they've always had talent, talented players in their squads, but in the past, the squads kind of, and the teams felt kind of top heavy. I think there's a balance to that now. They've, they've got solid defenders, and there's also the, the one little factor there, the, the small minority of it, Lionel Messi, and it's probably like his last chance to win yeah. the World Cup, and he started the season incredibly well, and I, I just feel that like there's a lot of uh, things that have come into play that are, are working towards Argentina, definitely getting to at least the semi-finals anyway, so I, I'll say Argentina or Brazil. Oh, good shout. Anyone you'd add to that, Matt? I, I, do you ge- genuinely believe that England could win it? Uh, no, I don't think England could win it. I think they can get far. Um, yeah. But yeah, I actually completely agree with Joel. Um, <laughs> Brazil and Argentina <laughs> were my two favourites as well. Uh, look at the form that l- the likes of Neymar uh, and Richarlison are in. Uh, Gabriel Jesus isn't even in the squad for this latest round and he's in brilliant form. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, uh, Vinicius Jr. is, you know, on top of the world. Um, I just think that they have good midfielders, they have a strong defence, but the attack from Brazil is so good. Um, mm. And I think we've seen in past World Cups that momentum really, really is a big thing. You know, you haven't got a lot of time to turn things around if you start poorly or to get things right. And looking at the groups from Argentina and Brazil, um, they are standout favourites. They are, you know, definitely odds on to to, to top the group um, and give themselves the best chance in the last 16. And I just think that that kind of momentum straight out uh, straight out the gate is really going to push both of them. So, yeah, I would say those two are my favourites. It looks like France are always sort of one or two arguments away from completely imploding <laughs> and having an absolute stinker. Um, yeah, Eng- England, I mean, look, a semi-final and a final in the last two tournaments and Southgate's obviously quite willing to stick with it and not change too much. Um, could be his downfall, uh, but yeah, I certainly think looking through the rest of the teams, I'd be I'd be surprised if England went in the final four. Mm. Um, 
Oh, I was just about to go through my uh, dark horses as well, but maybe I would have jumped the <laughs> go gun for it. a little dive bit. Dive in, dive in, yeah. Dive straight I was just, in. I was right. just going to throw, throw Germany's, uh, Hansi Flick's Germany in there as a potential. Yeah, I think they could true. be very strong. True. Uh, I think go on, hit me with your dark horses, yeah. My dark horse, um, and they're, they're in the, one of the most even, in my opinion, groups, is Uruguay. Mm. I think Ooh. they've really, really got some some good quality uh, in and around their team. Um, we'll wait to kind of see what uh, what sort of form Darwin Nunes is in, of course. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, yeah, exactly. Obviously, the Luis Suarez, I think Fede Valverde is in, in crazy form for Real Madrid, a midfield with him. Best and midfield Rodrigo. in the world, mate. Yeah, exactly. Him him alongside Rodrigo Bentecourt, uh, brilliant. Uh, Araujo in defence as well is really, really impressed at Barcelona. I just think they're looking really compact and strong all over the pitch. Um, and like I said, in their group with Ghana, Portugal and South Korea, if you take the Ronaldo factor out of it, which I think you can do in all honesty at the minute, that is an extraordinarily even group. Mm. Um, each team has their stars, but I, I'd back Uruguay to win that group and, and to be honest, go a bit further into the competition. Um, and also Canada. There's just a feel-good factor about Canada. <laughs> I think they're going to shock a few. Um, do you I, I think, think they'll probably go out in the group stage really <laughs> after, after all the sort of feel good vibes about them I think they'll probably end up be, be, being quite shit but really? I hope not oh, like I would like to see it but I feel like <laughs> they're not dark horses for the for, to win it um, that's Uruguay for me but I think at least this cause a bit of a shock Canada would be mm. would be kind of cool I'll throw a name at you Joel Senegal <laughs> really okay. yeah ah, well yeah I have a couple of nations winners exactly yeah, yeah. A, an African team. nation has famously never won the World Cup, so maybe this will be the year. Probably not, but yeah. you never know. <laughs> I would throw it either dark horse, not necessarily to win the tournament, but I think to get into the final four, I'd say Denmark, I would say, mm. for, for mine. I think they're really good at the Euros, and in this qualification section, they won 9 out of 10, scored 30 goals, and I think see it's just three. Uh, can you name the only team that beats Denmark, actually? England. Ooh. No, Scotland. Oh, oh. Yeah. so uh, maybe maybe Scotland should have been the World Cup after all. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> draft yeah. them in. Go on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. It's, isn't it weird how none of us mentioned Portugal at any point during that discussion? So many good players, but just such a uninspiring coach that it just seems unlikely that they'll do anything again. That's. Yeah. It. I, I think, like we saw at the last World Cup, they'll probably rely on individual brilliance. Mm. Um. And it would be very tough to kind of pin it on someone apart from Ronaldo. Um, mm. If if Ronaldo is playing, you know, I can't imagine anyone stepping up and out of Ronaldo's shadow. It just hasn't really seemed to happen for anybody at club or international level. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'd, uh, I don't know. In that group, though, like I mentioned, the Ghana-Uruguay rematch after the handball from Luis Suarez, oh, yeah. by the way, <laughs> is going to be a very interesting game to look forward to. It was Asamoah wasn't it, who hit the bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was talking about playing. Did you see this? Really? Yeah it, was like, it, it was, yeah, it was like a month or two ago. And after, basically, after he saw the draw, he was like, I'm ready. Oh, he's only thirty-six. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, I, 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 I don't think he's he hasn't got a team. He left a team last summer, but he was saying, "I'm ready. I'm fit. I'm back out on the pitch. If Ghana need me, I'm there." Like he's on a hell bent personal mission for revenge. And uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure the the Ghana FA. Yeah, I suspect they won't be returning his calls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> At this point. Um, I'm not. I'm not quite sure they'll 
uh, yeah, returning the calls or add him into the squad. Oh, he's, yeah. he's probably still not bad, right? Isn't he thirty six? Oh, well, he's not, yeah, not right. terribly old. Didn't he, didn't Egypt at the last World Cup have like a forty five year old goalkeeper? Yeah, he's the oldest ever international or World Cup appearance in here. I can't yeah. remember his name off the top of my head now, but yeah. Blimey. Yeah, yeah. Asamojan so, to come back. It's never too late, yeah. Get a penalty, miss it again. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the story of the World Cup. That'll be something, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rewinding uh, back to this international break now, any any, uh, any matches we're particularly looking forward to? I suppose England v Italy, England v Germany could be quite good, eh, Matt? Yeah, I was just about to say, those are the two I'm definitely looking forward to. Not not purely from an England fan uh, perspective, but just because, you know, they're, they're, they're facing off against two of the biggest teams in the world, two of the best teams in the world, although Italy didn't make the World Cup. Um, it's just, I guess this is what they were angling for with the UEFA Nations League, that we're kind of excited for these big games rather than playing some sort of good, awful opposition and winning 8-0 or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's two big games to look forward to. And I think also it's really good test for England to see kind of where they stand or where their squad stands leading up to the World Cup because you can imagine going further into the tournament, these are the quality of teams that they're likely to face. Um, so yeah, it's actually quite a good, like I said, quite yeah. a good... Um, and they lost, what uh, was it, 4-0 to so. Hungary last game? So they really need to sort of shake that off quite quickly, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They need to just forget about that, like I just forgot about that. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be the best thing for England. But no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. There's also, um, I believe it's tonight. This is Thursday today. Tonight is Belgium against Wales, mm. and um, that that'll be a good game because I'm interested to see how Wales do in their build-up to a first World Cup in. Yeah. Was it 60, 64 years or something? 54 years? 1958, wasn't it? Last yeah, one. 1958. Yeah, um, and it just brought me images of how Robson Carnu doing that ridiculous turn at the Euros. <laughs> remember that goal? Yes, so, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but Belgium Wales as well will be an interesting one. And uh, I suppose, Joel, you'll be looking forward to sinking your teeth into Denmark v France on Sunday night, will you? And, I mean, you say that like it's a joke, but that sounds like an absolute cracking game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like to look at both squads. Um, and you know, France seems to have like the best squad in the, in the world and the best second squad in the world. And um, you see a lot of the players that actually don't get called up to their squad this time round, whether through injury or just not getting selected. And it's in- incredible. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, but I, I feel like Denmark and France is a fixture that has been played so many times before. And then um, I'm like, this this is not a new thing. And I, and, and it's sort of similar to. As you know, Matt just mentioned Belgium v Wales there. Um, I think Kevin De Bruyne came out yesterday and said he's bored of playing Wales. Like I just keep... <laughs> <laughs> That's such a Kevin De Bruyne thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a ass. I'm here for it all. Right? <laughs> he comes out when he goes into international duty. He does. Um, he's yeah, just like, yeah, he's just sick of the sights of the Welsh flag, I think. Well, who can blame him? No, I shouldn't have said that, should I? That was a joke, Wales. Don't write in. Don't write in. I don't Wales and Lancashire are coming for yeah. you, Dan. How many more people can I upset today? So, yeah. uh, a little story that I was interested in uh, already in the international break was uh, was San Marino's fortunes. Did you hear about this? They played Seychelles in a, a friendly on Wednesday night. Uh, I, go on. I, I was going to say, yeah, I heard they did everything but hit the back of the net, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, San Marino, they've only won one match in their entire history. They've lost the last 18 in a row. A lot of people looked at this game as a potential to win their second ever match and they drew nil-nil with Seychelles. What a letdown that is. Like, oh, no. It would have been better if they'd like, you know, at least gone down in a, a, a blaze of glory or something, but nil-nil. 
Oh, God. Isn't their top goal scorer got like four goals or something? Or am I thinking of someone else? Um, you could be right, yeah. It would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Let me check. Eight. Andy eight goals, Silva huh? has eight goals uh, for, for, for San Marino. Oh, they drew nil-nil. Seychelles as well. Yeah. Their biggest win is a 1-0 victory over Liechtenstein. <laughs> yeah, did they play on the seashore, Seychelles? Do we know that? Oh, no. <laughs> Right, add them to the list. <laughs> you can see you coming, couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's have a look at some some interesting stories from the, the world of club football that have come out this week. Uh, the first one is Brighton have got a new manager in Roberto Di Zerbi, a former Shakhtar Donetsk and Sassuolo manager, among others. Is that a, a good appointment for you, Joel, do you think? It's exciting appointments. I um you know, his Sassuolo team were really good to watch and really exciting. And, you know, they end up finishing eighth uh, twice. Uh, ne- didn't necessarily get into Europe uh, with them, but they, you know, they, they bloodied a few of the noses of the big teams and they were really exciting. And, and he's managed to, like, sort of develop some players to go on and, and, and do well and sign for bigger clubs. And uh, so I think he's, he's definitely got some talent as a manager. Um, and I think he'll sort of carry on the, the good work of, of Graham Potter, and I think that, I think that'll be nice to watch Brighton, you know, and I think it's not necessarily going to be the greatest of transitions as well. To be honest, a big transition, should I say? Like he did not uh, sort of transition from one one style to a completely different style. Mm. You know, does Airby sort of manages the team to play a similar sort of way to Graham Potter, and maybe a, even more a bit more adventurous and a bit more attacking in that mindset. And so, you know, the jury jury's always out on the <laughs> managers coming to the to the club, but um. Certainly, from from the outs of it, it, it does look like a you know an exciting appointment, and uh, will be sort of attractive to see how it goes on. Yeah, I saw a tweet yesterday where someone said, uh, "As a fan of the Scouse accent, I'm looking forward to hearing Jamie Carragher pronounce Roberto <laughs> Deserbi." You don't need to wait. Joel Sandersamori has got you covered. <laughs> I, I saw you like that. And I knew that was coming, so I knew you were coming to me for that first answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, love it, love it. Uh, Graham Souness, he's uh, he's a man who doesn't uh, have too many too many friends. Well, I don't know about his friends, but you know he doesn't have too many fans for his punditry. Let's yeah. put it that way. He gets a, he gets a lot of flack, and in some cases, rightly so. He got a bit of flack, I noticed, for pointing out that uh, Deserbi's had seven jobs in nine years, as if uh, you know. I think he, the point he was making that if you were a good coach, you wouldn't move around so much. Is there anything in that? Do you think, Matt? Uh, well, he was sort of moving around, I guess, earlier on in his, uh, you know learning the trade if you will um and with all greatest respect to italian football there is a lot of movement uh with players with managers uh the transfers the co-ownerships the um you know ad- administration player clubs going into administration and i don't i'm not saying that's the complete reason for it um but there's a constant it seems roundabout where new opportunities come along and i think as long as he's learning from each of these, there's no way to prove that that's a good or a bad choice, to be honest. I mean, why would he sit somewhere that's going absolutely nowhere and say, <laughs> no, I've got to do four more years at Shakhtar, otherwise Souness will think I'm not worthy of the Bronx job. <laughs> like, yeah. if an opportunity, you know, it's, yeah, it's something quite Shakhtar bizarre. because of the war. Yeah, exactly. He left Shakhtar because of the war. I mean, that's a bit mad. He had three seasons <laughs> at Sassuolo. Obviously felt that he took them as far as he could. Um, I, I think that's, yeah, maybe a, a little bit harsh. You wouldn't judge a player for having a load of loans at the beginning of their career to, mm-hmm. you know, cut their teeth, um, as it were. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure I agree with Sunes because I saw that tweet and I saw someone say he also had like nine jobs in 10 years or something. <laughs> yeah, so, there you go. Yeah. 
I'm not quite well, sure. He's he, and he's not had a job comment. for fucking years, has he? So who is he to comment <laughs> yeah, on anything really exactly. at this point? Yeah. Now yeah, he's just I giving mean, it big licks and on yeah. talk sport and exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly nonsense. Yeah, a couple of interesting Spurs around, uh, a couple of interesting rumours, sorry, around Spurs this week, Matt, uh, that I wanted to to get your take on. Uh, the first is that Antonio Conte wanted by Juventus. Is that something that concerns you? Not for now. Not for the, not for the season at the minute. I think we spoke about it a few weeks ago about the 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 cost of, of firing Max Allegri for Juventus and whether or not they're willing to pull the trigger. And the, the last I read from the um, sporting director was that they gave Allegri a four-year deal at the beginning of last season, beginning of 2021-22, because, you know, they believed there was a plan in place and they fully mm. got him in um, in the mindset moving forward. Obviously, if Juventus were to have a really poor season, a poor showing in the Champions League again and finish out the top four, there would be questions. <sighs> It, and it, and that would also go the same for Conte. If Spurs were to have a poor season and he thought, you know, he'd have more chance of success at Juve, then um, then yeah, maybe he would jump. But I, I think that's sort of a double negative. If Juventus are that bad, Conte's not going to switch if they don't have Champions League football. And if they do have Champions League football, there's probably not reason to sell to to sack Max Allegri. So yeah. it's, it's sort of working. Both ways, but no ways, <laughs> if you get what I mean. And, and yeah, look, Allegri's gone back to Juve after a, f- a very successful first period and pretty much shit the bed with it. So maybe that's a bit of a warning sign. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit of a warning sign for Conte um, heading back for a second spell as well. Yeah, I mean, Juventus obviously a huge club and he's had a great success mm. there and he's Italian and he played for them and all that kind of thing. I just think he'd be mad to abandon the Spurs project at this point, you know, and it's yeah. it's just sort of starting to get good really, isn't it? You just sort of feel like feel like Spurs are on the right track at the moment and uh, I just don't see why he would leave at this moment in time. At least, you know, like you say, at least wait until the end of the season, maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah, very strange. And the other, the other rumour is about... Uh, Bayern Munich being interested in Harry Kane, that just doesn't seem like a good fit to me at all. No, I, I think, see, what happens in the international break is you either make up nonsense rumours like that one, <laughs> or you sit there like us and try and at least discuss some footballing shit. Uh, <laughs> we've taken the noble route and we haven't lowered ourselves to talking about Kane moving to Bayern Munich. Yeah, apparently there were some rumours about it. Um, I can't see him fitting in. Uh, he seems very hellbent on on the Premier League record, on the goal scoring record, on mm. you know he's the the England captain. Not that makes a difference, but I just feel you know there's a bit. Do you think it'd be weird if the England captain played abroad? Maybe there's a bit of responsibility to stay in the league. David Beckham did it, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Was Beck still captain when he left for Real Madrid? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably right. Yeah, but he's Beckham. He can do what he wants. <laughs> He doesn't have to queue, but he does. Um, and uh, you like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it took you a second. There's a bit of a queue jumping yeah. reference there. <laughs> but Beck stayed in the queue, all right? You could do what he wants. Yeah, um, yeah I just can't see Kane f- fitting in a, a Bayern Munich. It seems like a bit of bit of an odd one. Look, I'm, I'm assuming look, Bayern Munich want the best players and Harry Kane's one of the best strikers in Europe. But yeah, it would seem a little bit odd um next summer he will enter the final year of his contract so that's maybe one to look out for it's about 18 months left to go but i think spurs are pretty keen on tying him down to a new one Mm. yeah i just don't see him in the bundesliga i don't see him going there and sort of finding that particularly fulfilling avenue for his career obviously he could could win the champions league with Bayern. Uh, that's a possibility but 
It just doesn't seem like a good fit. And with Bayern at the minute, that's probably not even a possibility. They've probably got a yeah. chance the Spurs do. That, <laughs> True, I mean, yeah. Kane's, what we'll see on now, 70-odd goals off of Shearer's record. I think that's very realistic for him. I can't see him leaving the Premier League and the only team that bids for him is Man City and they don't need him yeah. because they've got a half-decent Norwegian bloke up front. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, certainly have. And, uh, and Chelsea, they're still in the market for a new sporting director after uh, Salzburg's Christoph Freund turned them down this week. Mm. Where do you see them going next, Joel? I mean, they've been linked with uh, Michael Edwards, is it? Who used to be at Liverpool at some point. I mean, it's uh, it's a weird market, the sporting director market. They've, they've missed out on Mark Noble today. He's gone to West Ham, so... <laughs> That's a big one, isn't yeah. it? Uh, I can't believe that we're now at the liberty of adding to our transfer gossip column, uh, talking about sporting directors mm. and where they're off to next. But it's the world we live in. I, I kind of feel with Chelsea, it's it all. It's, I mean, with the, with the transfer recruitment for the players in the summer as well, it all feels a little bit slapstick, sort of throwing up shit at a wall and see what sticks. And it feels like that with the sports, the sporting director search as well, because it came, it came out as, you know, various reports saying that, uh, the owner Todd Bowley is sort of interested in, in the Red Bull model and that kind of, and, you know, when it comes to Leipzig and Salzburg and how yeah. they do things. And, and I think that's sort of where they've landed on getting Christoph Roy from there. And, you know, it, it, the guy is really talented at his job. Clearly, the players they brought through there and and sold on, and and, and the talents that have gone to elsewhere. So he's clearly capable of his job. That's not what I'm sort of alluding to here, but it just sort of feels like Bowley sort of landed on that because he likes something. He's gone, ah, well, that's the guy that does something. You know, he's he's done well at this job, so he's clearly going to do well at Chelsea as well. Let's get him in, and that's just like you sort of got there with players as well when you sort of look at you know the chance goes for Ronaldo and Aubameyang it all slaps that like someone's you know said this guy's really good you know and he's gone oh okay we'll, we'll try and get him then like rather yeah. than doing any sort of research or detailed analysis into in these things and so I'm, I'm not you know really Chelsea could be a good sport director away from from challenging for the title again because they work with you know, the way Graham Potter managed to set up the recruitment at Brighton and them the success they had there with, with the people he worked with. If, if they get you know a, a, a capable person in to do that job with Potter now, then you know the, the, they could work out well. But I'm not too concerned really or, or got much confidence in, in them doing that because. I don't think the people in charge of Chelsea at the moment have really worked out. They probably shouldn't be making football decisions. Yeah. So uh, I'm not quite sure where they'll go. I saw that uh, uh, Victor Orta from Leeds got linked with the position today as well. Uh, If Michael Edwards goes there, he's dead to me. So I hope not. (laughs) There was also Leverkusen's Tim Steiten, I think it was. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I saw that Luis Campos, who's at PSG, being linked as well. But I think he's uh, probably quite settled where he is and probably won't be leaving there. But what do you think about this sporting director stuff, Matt? It's become very, very fashionable over the years. And obviously it's been successful at, you know, certain clubs like Man City being one of them. But yeah. what is it so much, so strange to just like get the manager to pick the players that he wants? Well, yeah, it's, it's sort of taking on that basketball NBA feel of having mm. a general manager who puts the squad together and then a coach who coaches them. Because a lot of managers are now head coaches, right? You look yeah. back at back of the days, Fergie used to do it all. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If he was making the team, well. and he did all right, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I, I will say it was quite funny. I was reading, I think it was a Guardian article on this um, Leverkusen's Tim Steiten, um, and and it came up that across this this funny bit. It said uh, a potential complication is that he 
became the Bundesliga side sporting director last summer when Simon Rolfs was promoted to managing director of sport. And I was thinking, that's the same job, just back to front. <laughs> What's the difference between a sporting director and a director of sport? <laughs> if anyone from yeah. Leverkusen could let us know, because I'm, I'm absolutely baffled. So, um, But yeah, look, look, you've mentioned the way it's worked in some places. And obviously, wasn't Ralph Ranić brought in as a director of sport about 10 months ago? Yeah, and he was supposed to stay on in some sort of consultancy role. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. And it's come out to they, they, they paid about forty million pounds just to tear up his contract. So, <laughs> exactly. Great, so, great business sense there. Yeah, I, I think it's more of a buzzword, and it's probably you'll find someone that this role of being a sporting director has been fulfilled by other people in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it was sort of a little bit on Fergie, I'm just using him as an example, a little bit on Mike Phelan and a little bit on the chairman right at United or whoever. (laughs) These roles were probably filled within a football club. It's just now they've obviously grown to the level where, you know, they need someone specific to do the role. And it it comes in the territory of this, you know, the, the buzzwords like the project. Yeah, and you know we're buying into the right values and the the, the ethos at the club and this kind of <laughs> stuff, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but um, these just sort of seem like non tangible words, yeah, which yeah, yeah. only I, really I, translate I to success on the pitch. To, to sort of give it you know, to give the sort of counter side of the argument, I think it does. It can work well. I think more clubs should have it in place. And, and to use my United for, as an example, if you have a a sporting director making decisions on the players to buy and then they sort of have a, a style in mind of how they want to play and then they try and get the coach uh, a certain coach to fit that style rather than uh, bringing a, a, somebody in like Eric Ten Hag and then buying players just to suit his style but they, that doesn't work they sack Ten Hag and have to get another person in who might you know Ten Hag plays this progressive passing style play. but then what they go get Diego Simeone mm. as their next coach they then and the situation they find themselves in right now actually is that they've got players in that squad that have been bought by Mourinho, Van Hal, Solskjaer <laughs> uh, and Ranić and then Hey, maybe not Ranić actually, but and then also Ten Hag. So you you got players that have been bought for four different coaches, and all those four different coaches are completely one completely different things from their players. So you then got a bit of a mishmash. So it, it when it when it does work is when you've got a sport director who's got a and, and a club that's got a vision how they want to look and the players they want to buy and how they want the team to play, and then you build from that upwards then so then you you know you know the players you want to buy but then you also know the coach the type of coach you want to get in and if that coach doesn't necessarily work then you know there are other coaches who are sort of in that bracket um you know like like it's worked well for leipzig in the past not necessarily at the moment because they've had three different coaches in the last uh, two years but that's been a model that has worked i think if you um it's 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 mainly more prominent in the bundesliga is it and mm-hmm. and more than in the Premier League, and I think it does work well there. There are so you made good points there. There are some things that it doesn't necessarily work too well. Maybe not in the Premier League, but I think if you know, clubs have a clear identity and a clear strategy, I think having a sporting director in place is a is a good way to go about that. Yeah, it's all well and good until the manager falls out with the sporting director, isn't it? And then uh, yeah, and all hell breaks loose. But yeah. Good points. I, I am tempted to dismiss it as a load of bollocks, but I think that's the sort of thing that Graham Souness would also think. So maybe I should try and distance myself from that kind of thinking, I guess. <laughs> Speaking of a load of bollocks, uh, there was an interesting interview with Bruno Fernandes uh, in The Athletic this week uh, of Manchester United fame, of course. Uh, he was talking about a lot of things. And one of the things he was saying that when he's on the pitch, he kind of 
hides behind the referee in a weird kind of way, uses the referee as a bit of a screen to kind of create space on the pitch. I thought it was quite interesting. You know, it's a, you can easily visualise it. Is, is that something that uh, maybe more players should be doing, Matt? Is it a revolutionary idea? I was thinking long and hard about this and doing, looking into it. And there were a few examples I saw given online of people saying, look at, look at where he is, look at his positioning, he's using the referee. And I just feel like a referee lends itself to actually being a brilliant number 10. <laughs> I, just, I just think the, the referee has to be, look, Bruno Fernandes has to be close enough to the action to be available right, to, to sort of be involved in the attacking play, certainly, but not too close that he's taking up teammate space or that he's not in the space of his own, right? Uh, especially in number 10, you've seen it with Thomas Muller, for example. They're always trying to find pockets and the referee also needs to be close enough so that he can see the action, but not too close that he's getting in the way of the game. So I think chances are they'll find themselves in similar positions because they're both trying to be in the open space. I think there was an article, uh, sorry, the article, um, it was in The Athletic, I think. Yeah. Uh, and they said, um, they said that the referee, was it he uses the referee space because nobody marks the referee? Which yeah, makes yeah. sense. Of course, no one's marking the ref. So therefore, that's where the space would be. So I think, it, weirdly enough, the referee is looking for space to move and be close, but not too close. And that's, you know, th that comes under the roles and responsibilities of a, of a creative player like a number 10. So maybe there's a bit of a, uh, what's the word, a strenuous link being made. Um, <laughs> either that or he just wants to paint himself as some sort of genius, but who knows? <laughs> Well, I mean, all this time we've been thinking that he was just a, a moaning bastard who was constantly in the referee's ear, but actually, <laughs> actually, he was, uh, you know, forming a solid bond yeah. with the referee there, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ne never mind the referee being number 10, Matt. Honestly, I I've seen Anthony Taylor do Liverpool games and that cunt has sort of blocked more passes than N'Golo Kante. He's a great defensive midfielder, honestly. Um, so, yeah, this... <sighs> Balls to it. <laughs> I'm going to be you know, ticking that... the explicit content box when <laughs> I, I upload this podcast. <laughs> I, was, I was just about to say, you know, when you've got like a parental advisory sticker on your latest Eminem <laughs> album, that is it. Joel just comes with a big yeah, explicit you might have warning. to bleep that one out. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> our, our listeners in America will not be pleased with that one. It's, yeah, uh, oh, <laughs> it, it means a very different absolutely. thing in that part of the world than our part yeah. of the world, doesn't it? But, you yeah. got to bleep it out. I'm bleeping nothing out. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's my you, one golden rule. You've made your bed, now lay in it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 w I would say this whole sort of thing is quite... It's quite funny, isn't it, to think about it, that a player could use the referee as... Maybe he's not even using the referee to block off play, but as sort of a, a reference point. You know, yeah. if the referee's in a good position, maybe if I stand next to him, I'm in a good position too. Because the referee's not going to go and stand next to a player. Um, I think this will come to the fore. I could, I I'll call it now. There will be an incident in the coming weeks, months, or season where... Bruno will sort of use a ref to get around a player or block it or, or something. Something will happen and everyone will point to that article and be like, you bastard, yeah. you've been planning this. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. going to blow up in his face soon. Or people are going to start marking the ref and his, his plan yeah. will have been completely foiled now. It's like, why, yeah. why don't you just keep your mouth shut? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. That doesn't seem so smart, does it? To yeah. Let everyone know your secret. I mean, like what, that, what I do... That book that the Liverpool coach wrote, everyone's blaming him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> letting the secrets out. Have you read that book, Joel? The Pep Linders one? Oh, that's it. No, Pep I was going to get it. Then we started, uh, the, the form went downhill. So, um, you know, bugger him because he's cost us now. 
he, he released a book saying described intensity as our identity, and I've not played about intensity since it came out. So it's like it's all Pep's fault. Yep. What if it was a decoy and Jurgen had no plan to play like that this season, and he said, "Pep, write this book so that everyone thinks we are going to play with intensity." There we go. That's and he's weird. doing the opposite. Yeah. Well, there's there's all there's all kinds of weird tactics being being uh, thrown about these days, isn't there? So uh, yeah, the the revolution of football or the evolution yeah. of football, one of the two. Uh, we've had a question on Twitter. Um, if you do want to get your questions into us this season, we'd love you to do so. The email address is podcast at onefootball.com. You can tweet me at football Dan. You can tweet Matt at Matt underscore Frolic. You can tweet at Joel S Murray. Definitely tweet that one. He loves it when. When he gets some uh, some social media interaction, uh, yeah, we got. Well, it wasn't really a question. I think it was actually him slinging a bit of abuse at us. But I've told him, I've, I've chosen to uh, interpret it as a question. So this is Smokey Jones on Twitter. He was listening to the podcast we did on Monday, where we were talking about Nathan Collins's brutal uh, red card uh, challenge on Jack Grulish, and he sent us a screenshot of Erling Haaland almost catching. Uh, it's a Crystal Palace guy. What's his name? Uh, the one who uh, Anderson Nunez uh, got Anderson. sent off. Yeah, that's him. Anderson, yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, Erlen Harleman, City played Crystal Palace a few weeks ago, almost catch him in the boot with the head. And he says, why does the Wolves player get a straight red? And I don't think it, Harland even got a card, just a warning. Is it favouritism on show again? Is there anything in that? Do you think, Joel, do you think referees do referee different teams and different players differently? I think they used to when Alex Ferguson was in charge of my United, <laughs> for sure. Um, oh. <laughs> just, no one's going to ever tell me that there wasn't a conspiracy there at all. Um, I do think, I mean, I don't remember looking at the Harlan instance at the time and thinking it was a red card, but maybe actually in hindsight, looking at it now, possibly, but then I guess in the screenshot that got sent to us there, it looks like one and then maybe in the video it doesn't um, and these things can happen. But um, I think there could be an element of favoritism when sort of referees go to big grounds, especially you know, not necessarily just big six grounds, but grounds that are sort of got rowdy atmospheres and rowdy home crowds. They can either play up to those home crowds and give the decision based on the raw, like at Goodison Park, where they love a throwing. Um, or <laughs> they could also try and play against that because they also don't want to, they want to prove to everyone that they're not sort of, um, they're not sort of crowded by atmosphere and they got their own mind. And, and, I, and I think there's sort of an element of not, necessarily playing or refereeing the game there, but sort of playing up to the crowd or playing against the crowd. And I think there's there's an element of that. But in terms of sort of favouritism, listen, I, I, I want to sort of cry about this because there's a lot of referees from Greater Manchester in the Premier League. And <laughs> it's like, lads, there are other districts in the UK, you know. But <laughs> I, I don't think there's ever any sort of credibility towards there being a big prolonged conspiracy theory against or against or for certain clubs in the Premier League. It, ju- it just wouldn't stand up. Like, it's <laughs> like not everything is against... Everyone on Twitter thinks there's a referee against their club. Um, and when, when you sort of go through that and actually consider that, it does all make it sound a little bit silly. Mm. I well, you are saying the Greater Manchester full of grasses, though. Is that what you're <laughs> That's my Tinder bio. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of maybe the, the, the one thing I would say about the Haaland incident is that because it was sort of one of his first games in the Premier League, there was maybe a situation where you don't want to send him off because you mm. don't want to sort of make a big story out. Because Harden gets sent off in one of his first games. It's a massive story and dominates it. And maybe the referee necessarily, it's a sort of when it becomes like a 50-50 decision like that, where it could be a red or it could be a yellow, maybe he's taking sort of the cautious sort of side to that. And I don't know. But in terms of a big prolonged conspiracy, I, I don't I think it's a little bit silly. <laughs> 
I mean, I guess the question is, Matt, when does uh, dangerous play become de- so dangerous that it has to be a red car? Because, you know, Haaland has got telescopic legs and he's always throwing them up in the air. You know, you could say that his goal against Dortmund the other week, even though he was nowhere near kicking anyone in the head. Is that dangerous play? Is he not allowed to go for that ball? Yeah, I I don't quite understand the rules in this. There was one uh, a few weeks ago where, um, uh, God, who was it? It was one of the former referees was talking about how there's dangerous play with intent. Mm. and seeing the, the force behind someone's challenge. Excessive um, force is the big Yeah, ex- ex- the excessive word, force. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it kind of, yeah, you could say excessive force or what counts as dangerous play. It's all really relative. Even just looking at that picture, it would appear to me from that freeze frame that Anderson's ducking down a bit. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, if you get caught in the head, you get caught in the head, it's dangerous play. What I... What I, I think we would struggle with when it comes to that specific term is then confusing it with the outcome of such a challenge. Yeah, We saw it when Kjolmin Son got sent off against Everton when and- Andre Gomez snapped his leg in half. Mm. Um, the He got the red card because of the result, because of the injury, and then it wasn't actually dangerous play. And then you ask the question, how, how can it not be dangerous play if you snap someone's leg? You know what I mean? So <laughs> uh, the, defining that is so, so difficult because like you said, Haaland's foot that high when he kicks the ball is a brilliant goal. When he kicks someone's head is dangerous play. So yeah. it's very difficult. And I think using that, it's such a blurred line that it's it's pretty much impossible to kind of see when something's, if something's obviously dangerous, um, but yeah, if it's a dangerous action or what the intent uh, is behind it, so to speak. Obviously, like Collins is going for the ball against Jack Grealish, right? Yeah. But when you miss it and catch someone in the midriff, then you're asking yeah. for a red card. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And, so. and different referees are going to perceive incidents differently, aren't they, as yeah, well? Exactly. It's another thing. You can't expect complete consistency across every single decision in the Premier League or in any league in the world because it's always going to you know, come into how the referee objectively perceives it i guess so uh or sub- subjectively should i say but yeah yeah well there you go i hope we answered your question there smoking yeah. jones even though it wasn't a question and you were probably just having a dig but fair enough if you want to have a dig come at us we're ready for you especially joel especially yeah, joel yeah, especially joel. <laughs> <laughs> to manchester aggressors there we go there you yeah. go there you go i mean you've, you've angered me with that one so you know never mind anyone else that's listening <laughs> Yeah, I think we'll uh, I think we'll leave it there today. I did have some other questions prepared for us, but we'll uh, we can save them for a future podcast. We'll be back again on Monday, Matt and I, with a uh, a guest. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Remember, it's uh, podcast at onefootball.com if you want to get a question in or at us on Twitter. Uh, I already read those out, so I won't say it again. Yeah, see you Monday. Have a good weekend. Bye.